Uh, I want to just echo what the worship team and what James have already said and welcome everyone today uh, to New Life Community Church. It is it's great to be together. It's great to gather together and worship. Um, I agree with, with Alan. Something powerful happens when we sing together and we worship the Lord together as a church. And um, when I was walking in this morning, I got here before daylight and parked, and I was walking across the parking lot, and even before the sun had even come up, birds were chirping like crazy right before sunrise this morning, and then you guys were singing amazing just a second ago. So it does my heart good to hear all of creation uh, worshiping the Lord today. So thank you for being here. Uh, For anyone that might be visiting, my name is Jasper. I am the associate pastor here at New Life Community Church, and every now and then I get the privilege to preach. Uh, All of the elders here preach at different times, and so uh, Kyle and Patricia are out of town today, and so I am filling the pulpit, and it is a great honor and a privilege to do so. So, uh, no, we're not going to do anything uh, extraordinary today. We're going to continue plodding along through our series in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 and 27 today. Now, we've been working our way through this book, and this series is titled The Fullness of Joy in Devotion to Christ. And so we have looked at a lot of different things so far in 1 John, and we're going to just continue on today with that. Uh, before we jump in and read the text, I want to give you a little bit of a, an analogy of what we're going to be talking about today. And it might not be a great one, but I wanted to do it anyway. So um, I have a nephew named Patrick, and when Patrick was little, he was obsessed with cell phones. If you had your phone out, he wanted it. He wanted to be playing with it all the time. Now, the thing about Patrick is when he was little and he wanted your cell phone, he also, there was a little toy phone that we had and uh, we kept it at Sherry's mom's house. We all eat there every Sunday. So um, if Patrick ever tried to get your phone, all you had to do was grab the little toy phone and just start hitting buttons on it and it would make noise and light up and distract him and he would take that and go play with it. So I think I've got a picture of him. Am I right? Yeah. (laughs) This was when he was a stockbroker, but he's on a cell phone. And so this was Patrick. So Patrick loved cell phones, but all you had to do was take out the toy cell phone, hit a button, let it start making noise and flashing, and he would run off with that. And so it's a horrible analogy, but (laughs) the point is uh, today what we're going to look at is this idea of not allowing a cheap gimmick imitation to take the place of the real thing, uh, to, be, to be settled and grounded in what is authentic and real and good and not settle for the toy version of it, okay? So if you can, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. We are going to read 1 John 2, 26 and 27. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we love you and we praise you today. We pray, God, that you now speak to us through your word, that you through your Holy Spirit, illuminate it for us so that we might rightly understand it. Again, Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So 
my main point that I want to make to you today, my, my big idea behind this sermon, is that Christians have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who leads them in all wisdom and truth. Christians have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who leads them in all wisdom and truth. So this is just two short verses, and verse 26 really um, is kind of a recap. So let me explain. Uh, remember, in the original language that this would have been written, uh, there were not verse numbers and chapters and headings and subtitles and all of those things. It would have been one letter. Uh, John would not have broken it down like this. All of this was added later. And so when he says, I am writing these things, he's talking about the things he has just recently said in the previous verses. And so some actual translations include verse 26 at the end of the previous paragraph. But in the ESV, it starts a paragraph with verse 26 and then has verse 27 in it. I tell you this to tell you, verse 26 is right in line with what Kyle preached through last week. Kyle talked through verses 18 through 25 last week where John was giving a warning about these anti-Christs, these people that were opposed to the message of the gospel and opposed to Christ. And they were leading people astray with this false teaching. Their knowledge or teaching that they claimed to have was very anti-gospel. And the, the key significance to it was that they were claiming to have a special revelation from God. They were claiming that the Spirit himself had spoke to them and given them this new knowledge that, they, that Christians needed. And so they needed to listen to them and hear what they had to say and that what they had, the message they had, they were the only ones that had it. And so you had to listen to them. You had to do what, what they were calling you to do. So they claimed to have special revelation from God. Now, I love that Kyle pointed this out last week. Now, this is the same old trick that the devil has been up to since the garden. It's saying what God has told you, God's words are not sufficient. There's something else to this. You need to know more, and I have what you need to know. Let me teach you more about this. It's the same old trick that he's been up to all along. And as Kyle pointed out, I think he used the analogy of a, a used watch salesman with the, the trench coat of watches or something. It's that bad. But this is exactly what these false teachers were doing. Uh, John tells his readers back in verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And then later, in verse 24, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. So what was it that they had heard from the beginning? Well, he says in verse 7, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. And so in verse 26, John is still talking about these same deceivers, again emphasizing that there is a great threat out there that threatens the very gospel. There are those who seek to lead astray and to trick people with their false teachings. Now, it is important to know this. John wanted his audience to understand the gravity of the situation and the danger of it. These people were in opposition to the very thing that Christians based their faith on, which was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are deceivers, just like their father, Satan. They seek to lead astray. 
but they do so by sprinkling in a little bit of truth with a little bit of religious language and sounding very persuasive and convincing. They even claim to be working for God when in fact they are working against God. So this is, again, what we're talking about. That helps set the contact, context for verse 27. So he's been talking about that, and then he switches to the solution. Notice the transition here as we go into verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. It's important to notice that because there's an obvious switch here. So what does he mean by this? What does he mean the anointing that you received abides in you? Well, John has already been using this language of anointing before we got to verse 27. If you look back at verse 20 that I just read, you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. In the King James Version, and I love this, it says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. I just love that. I love that the way that's phrased, unction. But this idea of an unction or anointing Anointing to anoint something meant to set it aside as holy, to consecrate it for holy use. You think of Aaron when he was anointed with oil. It is also meant to endow the anointed one with the quality of the deity involved, according to the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. So John is saying, you have been anointed by the Holy One, Jesus. When Christ anoints us, He is setting us apart and endowing us with a quality of himself, namely his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So this is the anointing that John is talking about, the unction from the Holy One that we have received from him that abides in us is the Holy Spirit. That is what John is talking about here. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So when we hear the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the second part of the Holy Trinity, who was in the beginning with God and through whom all things were created, yet he humbled himself enough to come down to this earth, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and then give his life up on a cross to pay for our very sins. When we hear that and we believe that and we put our trust and our faith in Christ, He plants his spirit within us. We now become a temple of God and his Holy Spirit abides in us. This is the anointing that we have received from the Lord upon our salvation. The very spirit of God now resides in our hearts. And John is saying, because of that, because you have the Holy Spirit living living inside you, look at verse 27 again. You have no need that anyone should teach you. You have the Spirit. You have no need that anyone should teach you. To to just paraphrase what, what he has said so far, I'm writing to you about those who are trying to deceive you through false teaching, but you have the Holy Spirit and you don't need anyone to teach you. Now let's unpack this a bit. Sometimes it's it's very helpful to understand what someone is trying to say. Sometimes it's helpful to understand what they are not saying first. Okay, so let's talk about what John is not saying here. John is not saying that we don't need teachers and preachers. He is not advocating that we each get to believe whatever we want and come up with our own truth. Now, this is very much a false teaching that is running rampant in our culture today. 
right? That truth is subjective. You get to invent your own truth. And you hear people say that, well, that's not, that's not my truth. That's not my reality. People think that just because they feel or believe something that it's true. But that's not how we determine truth, right? There is only one truth. There's one authority on these things. There's one standard, and it's God's holy word. We don't get to just invent new truths because we think it to be right. Now, there are many different applications of truth, absolutely. We can take truths from the Bible and apply them differently because we're different people. But the truth remains the same. So again, John is not saying that you don't need teachers, you don't need preachers, because what has he been doing the whole time through his letter? He's teaching. He's teaching them what to do, right? So of course he's not saying you don't need teachers. God has graciously given his church teachers and preachers so that we can rightly understand his word. Now this is not in opposition to what John is saying here, because the Holy Spirit is in those faithful teachers and preachers, and it is through the Spirit in them that they teach us the Word. And we're going to revisit this here in just a moment when we look at how the Spirit teaches us. But We also know, uh, in favor of this argument that John's not saying we don't need teachers, we also know that Scripture does not contradict itself. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it tells us that he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so God's word itself tells us that he has given us teachers and preachers, endowed by the Spirit to teach and preach. So what John is saying here when he says that you need no one to teach you, what he is driving at is that you don't need some new revelation, some new anointing or someone promising to have all of that and more, everything you've ever needed to know. He's saying you have what you need, God's word, and you have the Holy Spirit to help you understand it correctly. You have all that you need. In fact, there is no such thing as new revelation. I was talking to Dustin about this this week. There's an old saying that goes, new truth is old heresy. There is no, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Any kind of new idea or new truth or new revelation that comes along is an old heresy somewhere down the line. Someone's thought of that at some point, and it's been proven false. So the false teachers that John is addressing claim to have a new message, a new gospel, contrary to the one that they had already heard and believed. Not the false teachers, the Christians. So these false teachers are not acting under the unction of the Holy Spirit. They are acting of their own accord and seeking to lead astray. And John's telling them, you don't need that. You do not need that. You have what you need in the Word and in the Spirit living inside you. And this is still true for us today. We have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit. And it is a gift that helps us understand God's Word rightly. Look at verse 27 again as we're working through this. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, we're just going to pause there. Let's talk about this idea of the Holy Spirit teaching us. We've already established that the anointing is the Holy Spirit. So it is the Holy Spirit that teaches us truth, that leads us and guides us and gives us discernment and is no lie. This is one of the ways that he is a helper to us. He does this by working in tandem with God's Word. It is the Holy Spirit 
that teaches and gives the sense so that we can understand it. Much like uh, for those of you who are reading through the Bible in a year, or if you've ever read the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8, um, it says that the Levites walked in the crowd and gave the sense or gave the understanding so that they would understand what was being preached. So this is what the Holy Spirit does for us now. He helps us comprehend the things of God. And what's beautiful is that all of it is God at work in our lives. So he gives us his word, this, our Bible, which was written by just normal men, right? Just guys making things up, right? No, it was divinely inspired. God's very spirit gave the understanding and inspired these men to write this word. And then once this word has been written, God's spirit fills the men that teach us this word. And then when you receive the word, God's spirit helps you understand the word. So from the beginning to the end, it's a work of the Holy Spirit and God in our lives to understand these things. Never at any point is it detached from the work of God. Faithful teachers and preachers help us understand this word. That's what they do. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to understand the things of God. Without it, without what is referred to as the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the things of God sound like absolute foolishness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit will always help us to understand God's Word. He will never contradict it, but reinforce it. The Holy Spirit doesn't give us new revelations. He helps us understand old ones. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, the Holy Spirit's teaching us what has been said by God. He's not teaching us new things. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So this is why we must test what we hear against Scripture. If it is not biblical, it is not from God. Amen? If it's not biblical, it's not from God. God has spoken through His Word, which is all sufficient. It is all that we need. And therefore, we must know God's Word. We must be familiar with God's Word. We have to be in it consistently. It needs to be food for us, our daily bread. Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A steady diet of God's word and the discernment through the Holy Spirit is how we guard against this false teaching. It's how we know right from wrong. There, look, there is no shortage of people out there that will try to tell you what the Bible says or what God has said. And how are you going to know if they're lying to you and trying to deceive you if you don't know God's word? 
This is why it's so important to be in this constantly, to be students of it, to love it and cherish it and study it. This is not legalism. I'm not trying to pound you on the head like you need to read your Bible more. It's for your good. It's, this is the way God has ordained for us to grow and be wise and, and protect ourselves against false teachers. So we need to be in God's word. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't, as far as him teaching us, he doesn't just give us intellectual knowledge to discern the things of God. He also moves in our hearts and he uses our emotions to lead us. Now, I'm going to have a careful thing on that here in just a minute. But Galatians 5, 16 through 26 talks about the desires or the fruits of the Spirit. You all probably know them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. One theologian said it like this, a large part of responding to those the fruits of the Spirit or those desires of the Spirit is the intellectual process of understanding what those fruits are and then acting in accordance. Absolutely. But this can hardly constitute the whole of such guidance by the Spirit because these emotions are not simply things we think about. They are things we feel and sense at a deeper level. The Greek word for desires is epithemia and is a word that refers to strong human desires, not simply intellectual decisions. So the Holy Spirit not only helps us understand the things of God, but he helps us to apply it too. He helps us to hide God's word in our heart and remember it and use those feelings to spur us to love and good works that the Father has prepared beforehand. An example of this, we know that scripture teaches us to love our neighbor, right? And I need to know that. I need to intellectually know that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. God commands me to do this. And then I also need to understand what does that look like? What would it look like to love my neighbor? But just knowing what the command is and then knowing what that could look like is not enough. I actually need to love my neighbor. I actually need to care about that person and have feelings that I care about their well-being and all of these things. It's not just a head thing. It's a heart thing also. I've heard uh, a great example of this, I think, um, from someone in this church that has told this story, that they were in a grocery line once, and the person in front of them could not pay for their groceries. They didn't have enough money, and they found out about this. And so they felt that the Spirit was leading them to help the woman out and pay for her groceries, and so he did. It was very clear that I feel like the Holy Spirit was guiding me in this. And I think that's right, because guess what? This person, no doubt, had read God's word, heard God's word preached that we are to love our neighbors and be generous and be caring and kind to others, right? That was already hidden on his heart. And then in that moment, guess who brought that to remembrance? The Holy Spirit. So absolutely, the Spirit can lead us and guide us. Now, again, a word of caution. We have to be careful here. The Holy Spirit will never move us or, or lead us to do something contrary to God's word, right? The Holy Spirit's not going to tell you to leave your spouse. That's not the Holy Spirit. You have to have a demon, Daryl. Um, <laughs> so we have to be very careful with this because you hear this a lot, right? Like, oh, God's telling me to do this, or I feel like God's really leading me to quit my job and just be a beach bum or something. No, no. If God is going to lead you to do something or tell you to do something, it better be in here. It had better be backed up by this. It better be supported by this. But absolutely, God is going to spur you to want to live out this word, okay? So John finishes verse 27 with this. 
just as it is taught you, abide in him. So I think you guys know this, but to abide means to dwell, means to live in. So this is a call to continue seeking wisdom that is from above, to stay rooted and grounded in the truth of the gospel as revealed by the Holy Spirit. That is where our hearts and our minds dwell. We dwell in him, he dwells in us. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So John has come full circle, and he is encouraging his, his readers and his listeners to don't look to those who claim to have new revelations, but abide in Christ. Abide in what you have in his word and the spirit. Stay there. Don't look for that. Stay here. And so we have to ask, how do we take a text like this? How do we take verses like this and apply them to our own life? What's, what's the big takeaway here? Now, we've been doing a little bit of application as we've gone through, but let's think through this. How do we apply this to our lives? Well, we know as Christians that we, we never, ever stop growing. We never stop learning. It doesn't matter how old we are, right? It is a lifelong pursuit to become more like Christ. Graciously, God has not left us in the dark in this pursuit. We have been given unction from the Holy Spirit, or unction from the Holy One, which is the Holy Spirit. He has given us everything that we need to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, according to Ephesians 4.13. God has given us his very words to instruct us. God has given us those who are gifted at teaching and preaching these words so that we might rightly understand it. And God has given us his very spirit to discern what is taught and preached so that we can tell truth from falsehood. Praise God for that. He does not leave us alone. He doesn't leave us in the dark. He has equipped us for everything we need to grow and to mature in our faith. Praise God for him. We aren't looking for new truths or new revelations from God. We stay rooted and grounded in the same gospel that we received from the beginning. Galatians 1, 6 through 8 says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There are still deceivers in the world today, out there, and they are not on the other end of the, the planet. They are here in Magnolia, Arkansas, who claim that God has given them specific new revelations, that he's spoken to them directly, and that you need to hear what he said. They claim that the Holy Spirit is moving in them, that this is a work of God. Listen to what John Piper says about this. It's almost certain 
that the Antichrists that we read about are claiming to have revelations from the Holy Spirit when they give their new revelation that Jesus is not really the Son of God come in the flesh. That is why later in chapter 4, verse 1, John warns the church not to believe every spirit, but to test the spirits to see whether they are of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So the Antichrists are saying, right on! Knowledge is a gift of the Spirit, and we have the Spirit, and we can tell you some crucial information that you've been missing about Christ. This is what virtually every sect or cult does. It claims some special revelation beyond the original one of the apostles, or it claims to have specially inspired prophets who give hidden interpretation of the Bible. This is still just as much a threat today as it was back when John wrote this letter. You do not have to look very far to see those who claim to have special revelation and a word from the Lord. Use discernment. Test the spirits. Does it line up with God's word? If someone tells you they have a word from the Lord, you need to ask them chapter and verse, period. Now, since... Again, we're talking application, a word of warning on this too. Do not be too quick to condemn and become a Pharisee in your criticism. Even the most faithful of teachers and preachers will make mistakes, or they'll word something a little funny, or there may be a gray area where they slightly disagree with you on a non-essential. This happens, but that is not what we're reading about here. This is altogether different. What John is warning about is critical doctrinal error. It is anti-Christ and anti-gospel. That is why you must know the word. You need to be able to know the difference between a different opinion on a non-essential doctrine and core essential doctrines of the faith. And how can you know that without knowing God's word? We do that. We do this by staying rooted and grounded in Christ by abiding in him and his word and letting the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us into all wisdom and all truth. So if you have been born again, you have a helper. You have the Holy Spirit who leads you in all wisdom and in all truth. Amen. And thank God for that, right? And so to wrap this up, believers in this place today, if you've put your faith in Christ, I've been applying and applying and applying this text to us as we go, but to repeat myself for the 15th time, God has given you his word and he has given you his spirit so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, according to Ephesians 4.14. Be students of God's word. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you and be on guard against false teaching and really bad theology because it is everywhere out there today. Just as John said at the end of our text today, abide in him. And if you are in this place today and you've never put your faith in Christ, without the Holy Spirit, you are susceptible to all kinds of false teaching and garbage about God out there today. You are very likely to be blown to and fro by every wind of doctrine, if you even care about doctrine. 
Now, I tell you this not to guilt trip you. I tell you this because I want to plead with you to put your faith and your hope in Christ. We are all looking for answers. We are born with questions about God and about life on this world. And there's only one thing that can fill that void. That that, that hole in us is a cross-shaped hole that only Christ can fill. And so if you're an unbeliever in this place, I know, I know you've probably got questions. I know there are things you wonder about, and I urge you to repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, believe in the gospel, and allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. Be a Spirit-filled, reborn, regenerated Christian and have instruction in how to walk through this life so that you're not susceptible to these false teachers. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service today, but I urge you, I implore you to give your life to Christ, to submit to him and to his, his word and to his spirit. First John 4, 15, just a little later in this book says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So receive the Holy Spirit today if you've never done that. Put your faith in Christ. Believe in Jesus. Give your life to him and walk in newness of life today. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you so much for your holy word. God, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We understand that we have only touch the tip of the iceberg today, Lord, and what could be said about your spirit, the way that you have blessed us. God, I do pray that the people in this room take this passage and take this lesson to heart today, that we commit ourselves to your word, we become students of it, and that we allow the Holy Spirit to help us discern truth from falsehood, good theology from bad, that we care about it, that we want to learn it, so that we can learn more about you. I thank you, God, for your spirit that lives in us. Thank you for your leading and your guiding. And I pray you continue to do so through not only the spirit in us, but through the spirit you've put in everyone in this room, through our teachers, our preachers, our fellow brothers and sisters. Lead us and guide us, God. Forgive us where we fail and where we stray and where we we err. We thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We know that we are unworthy. We are jars of clay. But thank you that you love us enough to send your spirit, Lord. I'm going to give you guys just a moment to pray. Just take this time now to respond to the Lord. Maybe that's through confession of sin, repentance, Maybe for the first time, that's through belief in Christ and who he is. I just want to give you guys a moment. Worship team is going to play for just a second. And uh, after this, we will get ready to receive the Lord's Supper. Just take a moment now to pray. Father, again, we love you so much, and we're so grateful for your spirit. 
I pray that you continue to lead us, Lord. That now as we prepare to conclude this service, that you fill us with your presence and that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for your holy word. We pray and thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.